Hello and welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Ariana Cascone, and I'm here today with our very own Jeff Kasouf to recap the seventh match day of the 2023 NWSL regular season. How are we today, Jeff? I'm good. We've turned the corner past the one-third mark in the season, which is, uh, you know, I think it's it's a little bit of a gut check time, as I like to say. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, all 12 teams in action over the weekend and you know, as always, we'll just run through the results pretty quickly here before we dive into to our two games of interest. So Racing Louisville earned their first win of the season in a, a 3 nothing fashion over the Chicago Red Stars, right? So we see the Red Stars continue to struggle. Uh, Houston handed Portland their first loss of the season 2-1. to one. And then Washington won really a back-and-forth battle with Angel City thanks to a stoppage time penalty kick. And we'll talk about that game in a little more detail as well. And North Carolina blinked the old rain one nothing. Gotham and Orlando played to a 0-0 draw. And then San Diego beat Kansas City 2-0 in front of a record crowd in Kansas City uh, to close out the weekend, right? So, you know, overall, lots to take away, I think, from this weekend. As you sort of alluded to, we're over the one-third mark of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, several interesting results. Obviously, it leaves us with the spirit as the last of the unbeatens, which... You know, I think they had to get better from last season, but maybe that is a bit surprising if you had told me that a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that they've found ways to get it done. Uh, in in you know, last season they they dropped results late, and now we're seeing them either hold on to them, put together ninety minute performances, or you know, in the case of this weekend, and and we'll get into the why and how and controversy of it, but you know, actually win these games late, which. Other than that big chaotic San Diego match last year, they really didn't do. They did the opposite. They blew. They blew leads. They blew games that would have been draws. So, um, you know, I think obviously a reversal of trend there. And then, you know, I think we'll, we'll get into uh, this Portland Houston game here, which which was um, a big result. You know, for different reasons for both teams, right? Yes, absolutely. I think it's a good place to start with uh, Spirit Angel City. You know. Of course, Spirit are top of the table, and I'm in a similar boat as you. If you had told me at the beginning of the season that Spirit would be unbeaten through their first seven, I might have laughed, <laughs> um, given how last year went. But something for me that's really stood out is, you know, the Spirit did have, um, you know, early in the season when they played, I think it was Racing Louisville, they had that a 2 nothing lead that they ended up conceding in the second half. And um, I distinctly remember that in the post game. somebody asked, I think maybe Jason Anderson, did this feel like last season where, you know, there was a clear regression throughout the game, um, couldn't hold on to a lead and players and Mark Parsons were pretty much like, no, you know, this was not reflective of last season. It wasn't a tale of two halves. And at that time I was kind of unconvinced, but now I'm looking back and I'm thinking, you know, maybe, maybe they were onto something. Yeah, I mean, look, I think obviously, you know, coaching change here and, and again, circumstances of last year being, you know, a bit, uh, uh, you know, the the exit of Chris Ward obviously mm-hmm. was, was mid-season. It was yet again um, controversial, doesn't feel like the right term for it, right? I mean, it ended up being sort of uh, in the reports that, that we got over the offseason. So, you know, a lot going on behind the scenes, I guess, is the best way to put it yet again, as it was the year prior under different coaching 
And now you have Mark Parsons in charge, and and obviously he comes with significant success within the NWSL. It was a brief stint with the Netherlands. Uh, you know, didn't quite match up uh, there in terms of styles, but um, you know, comes with with a track record in this league of of winning, of winning with the the Thorns, and you know, in his brief time in Washington previously. So this is very much a totally different spirit than mm-hmm. than when he departed nearly a decade ago. Or, or going on that, it feels like. Um, and, you know, so I think that that's an obvious change. The personnel itself, not drastically different, but he has made some interesting changes. I think we've touched on them a little bit, but, you know, uh, Mickey Yoon at, at center back, still wearing the number nine shirt, which is just a little bit, you know, funny in, in a way for the purists of, of number nines who are strikers. But like, you know, there have been some positional conversions. There have been... There's been this tweak to the system. The diamond has really, um, you know, it, it's ironic in a way because we go through these cycles of, of some of them are fads, some of them are, you know, tactics that really take over globally. And, you know, for some time, I feel like we've really been in this. Most of the top teams have been in a version or a variant. I'd be curious your thought here of, of you know, a 4-3-3. I know I'm generalizing, but that's been sort of a prevailing formation among top teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking more globally here even but you know then you see things we've seen this sort of three back trend in the end of nwsl over the past year some teams still sticking with it for better or worse certainly for worse in chicago as we've seen again this weekend but um you know the spirit have gone to this diamond that that is really working for them in, in a number of ways yeah i mean i i think their diamond it's on paper, I'm not sure that it would their lineup or you know their personnel would have screamed diamond to me, but I think um, obviously it's really working. It's interesting to see Parsons implement that because he, at times he did implement a diamond in Portland, right when he was really successful there. Um, and it's I think it plays to their advantage because they sort of have Ashley Hatch and Trinity Rodman acting a little bit as like as outlets. Um, you know, if you think about them going forward, but. I think their diamond is also really good at, at marking players out of the game. And we saw that when the spirit played San Diego. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. their system, I mean, Andy Sullivan said this at halftime, right? They have to be really fit to play that system. And so it's interesting to see the system change um, is sort of in step with all of those other changes that are happening at the spirit, right? We see Dawn Scott is now on their staff and she, you know, used to be, I think, head of performance or I'm not entirely sure of what her exact title was with the national team, but you know, she's stepping into that role of the spirit and is essentially getting the team where they they need to be. So they can execute this really, um, you know, fast paced game plan. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, I I think that you look at how this diamond shapes up in that sort of front triangle with, you know, again, it's Ashley Sanchez in that sort of more, more traditional number 10 role centrally. It, it gets her paired up with Ashley Hatch and Trinity Rodman. Whereas, you know, in the past, and I think this worked for Rodman, certainly, um, where we saw maybe, uh, you know, a three front for the spirit would have Rodman sort of typically in a wide area where, you know, she is very good and, and is where she is and probably will be for the national team, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it gets those three combining in a way that is clearly fruitful. I mean, we see it again, even more so maybe this season, but we've seen it over the past few years now where, um, you know, I think it was at Opta, was it a week ago, I think at this point last weekend that, that there was the stat of their production being 
the best among a trio uh, since 2021, I believe was, I might have slightly butchered that from Opta, but, you know, essentially that this is a very productive trio, right? And mm-hmm. um, I think this really allows them to get combined in a way that keeps them all close to each other and puts them in, in optimal positions, which, you know, for Hatch, it's obviously a pure number nine. For Sanchez, a number 10 that can sort of have some freedom. And and then Rodman sort of, um, you know, like you said, it, it's a two front, but I think she's got a bit of freedom too, can certainly, I mean, we saw it in that, that game against the the wave, which they mostly dominated, um, where she can pop up in wide areas still. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it has worked well for those three specifically. Then you get Sullivan at the base of that diamond. And, you know, I, I think the 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 back line has probably outperformed my expectations in a way. Um, and that's, you know, I say that even with, you know, I, I think Kingsbury is a very good goalkeeper, Sam Staub, obviously. Uh, at center back, but, you know, some new pieces. I mean, I just mentioned Mickey and I mean, you know, some new pieces and changes in that back line that, you know, maybe you could have some questions about in preseason and, and heading into the season, but, you know, it's largely worked so far. And, and that's, you know, that's a part of those growing pains or those struggles from last year that, that have been solved so far. Yes, totally. And, you know, thinking about this center back pairing that's working so well, I am reminded of, you know, the 2021 championship run when Emily Sonnet was anchoring the back line, right, at center back. And when Mark Parsons took over, she, you know, that trade was almost immediate. So I think this is, uh, at the beginning of the season, I said something to the effect of like, well, if this works, you know, it will, it will be like Mark Parsons is a genius. But if it doesn't work, then we're all, you know, left scratching our heads. And I think that through seven games, at least, it's clearly working for Washington, um, which, I don't know if Mark Parsons could see the future, but kind of seems like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's going well so far. Obviously the spirit have big ambitions on and off the field. You know, I think owner Michelle Kang, obviously in, in, uh, in the headlines this weekend for, for being in France, you mm-hmm. know, and, and obviously there's, you know, implications that are still a bit TBD from there, but even prior to, you know, that sort of entire different topic in a way, um, you know, this spirit team is one that, you know, through her ownership since taking over in full as as majority owner a little over a year ago now, you know, you mentioned Dawn Scott and, and her background. Um, you know, Mark Corian has come in, obviously, Mark Parsons coming in. You know, I think there's been and even infrastructure wise, like they're they've sort of figured out the training not training facility because they don't have their own, but you know, training situation. I mean, there's been a significant amount of investment that's been done and and obviously with eyes toward success like this. Yeah. And it's kind of nice to, we, I feel like we often are having to think about how off the field issues are impacting a team negatively, if at all. So it's kind of a nice change of pace to, to see this level of investment kind of pay off even through a, a short stretch here for the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll see where they go with, you know, unbeaten thus far, obviously, and 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 the only ones left, as we said. But um, the the dog days of summer await in the NWSL. So <laughs> they do. And you know, before we we move into before we you know move to a different game, I do want to talk a little bit about how this game ended because I think you know when you look at the stats of this game, it was really a back and forth affair. Um, you know, it was end to end for pretty much ninety minutes, and and 
I'm not sure that ever that it, there was ever a time when one team was truly dominating. And of course, the Spirit end up coming on top, out on top in this one. But you know, it ended rather unfortunately with the handball on the box call and in stoppage time. And so, um, you know, I guess how do you? Or I guess what is your your takeaway from, you know, kind of a heartbreaker like that for Angel City? Yeah, look, I know Angel City feels hard done by VAR in its early introduction of the NWSL here. And look, you know, I was at that opener in, in L.A. I thought that I, I thought both calls were wrong, frankly, to to the the call that negated what would have been a June endo goal, which that completely changed the, you know, the direction of that game. Mm-hmm. And then the PK conceded. Um, because, and I say, I think they, they were wrong to be ultimately, um, you know, reversed in, in so many words, it, because I don't see any sort of clear and obvious error when you look at what was called on the field versus what you then see, uh, on the video. But, you know, no need to go back to that. All is to say that I know that Angel City, I think fans and internally seem to feel like this is an every week occurrence. And, and again, this is, you know, this is a harsh way to lose a game. Um, it it is sort of an ongoing trend for Angel City since that they've had since their inception. It was a problem last year, you know. Tuesday, their their um, big HBO documentary series drops, and it it reminded me as I watched it on the screeners, and it and it highlights their propensity to drop results late last year. It's continued this year. It's a problem, mm-hmm. um, and these are you know this one is obviously you know feels like it was out of their hands. No pun intended, but you know you look at the handball that's called on M.A. Vignola. Um, you look at the letter of the law. There's obviously the spirit of the law, the context of the game. It's stoppage time. It's a nil-nil game. You know, we have the explanation via the pool reporter, which, you know, I'm happy to read here if you want, Ariana. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, so the J.C. Griggs uh, pool reporter response. So so for people listening, the, the pool reporter is – a person from the media designated every game to ask the refs questions. Should something come up? It's a written thing. It's not a, a interview in person, which would be great. But um, so the, the written response, although the ball struck the body of the defender first, there was a secondary motion of the arm. This movement of the arm was at above the shoulder, making the body unnaturally bigger, blocking the path of the ball. So, I mean, look by the letter of the law. Yes, this was an unnaturally, uh, the arm was made, to make her body unnaturally bigger, which is, is in the rule book. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you look at the ball going away from goal, it had already hit her, her side, I guess is the best way to put it. And I mean, it feels harsh, right. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think at least I will say this, if you're new to the pool reporting, that's a more detailed answer than we usually ever get. So at least there's that. Um, and by that justification, you can see, why the call was made, even though it feels um, feels harsh, right? Even from a neutral perspective, I think it feels harsh to decide a game like that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think I, I assess this sort of result for Angel City just along with the others, sort of like what you were saying. I mean, they have – this is not the first time that they're losing a game very late in the game, right? It almost feels like this is part of Angel City's identity in a way. And, of course, it's it, – it's not fun that it came from a penalty kick. I mean, it's, you know, that's soccer, unfortunately. I will say, I think Ashley Hatch did a really nice job stepping up, taking that, that penalty, um, you know, upper 90. 
in front of a crowd like Angel City. Uh, she said after the game, you know, acknowledging that it is pretty a hostile environment for away fans. I mean, they average the best attendance in the league, right? So, you know, just because uh, Washington was awarded the penalty and, you know, penalties have high XG, <laughs> um, that's just the way it is. It doesn't mean that Ashley Hatch was going to score it, and ultimately she did to, to get the spear of the three points there. So I think, you know, as, as much as it might be unfortunate for Angel City, I was a little bit impressed with, I guess, Hatch specifically in the way that she was able to put that one away. Yeah, I mean, she's been in form, right? She mm-hmm. she looks very clearly to be the the second number nine going to the World Cup for the U.S., and, and justifiably so. I think she's been very good this spring for the spirit, you know, she's, she's, she's had some moments with the U S as well. And that, you know, sort of limited window that we've got now before the world cup. So, you know, I think she's been, she's been good from the penalty spot in open play and, and, you know, in the ways that, that Flacco Nanofsky is probably looking for. So, you know, I, th- I think if you're a U.S. fan or if you're in Nanofsky, you're, you're encouraged by that. Yeah. And Ashley Hatch, you know, is leading the league now with five goals in, you know, her appearances this season, which I mean, is very clearly translating to the fact that she's informed, but it's interesting in the context of how she scored 10 goals and won the Golden Boot in 2021. So I'll be, I'm kind of excited to see what the summer will look like for the Spirit and for Hatch specifically. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think, um, you know, a big role, her biggest role ahead yet, if she's headed to the World Cup, right? I mean, probably mm-hmm. as the number two, number nine, but that is, you know, a significant significant thing in itself especially with roster rotation in the group stage and you know and and who knows what happens you know what pops up right and and maybe we'll see i don't know you know we've we've seen sophia smith slide into that role but i th- i think you know uh when, when morgan's not there anyway but i think uh it, it'll be very interesting to see and uh, you know that that's all sort of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit just to say you know she's been very good with the spirit and and i think deserves credit for that totally agree So I think that's a nice place to take a quick break before we dive into Houston-Portland. Okay, and we're back to talk about the Houston Dash and Portland Thorns, right? So Houston uh, beat Portland and handed them their first loss of the season. I can't say I was really expecting this one. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'd probably agree. Um, you know, Houston is an interesting case, obviously, in, in a team that I, I don't think has been overly convincing in, in any results. I mean, I look at the the away game to Portland a few weeks ago where, you know, that they were happy to just escape, right? And And they managed to, despite what I thought was some really poor individual defending at times. And you look and they haven't scored a lot. They have not given up a lot though. And, you know, I've kind of been wondering when that might give and, and it hasn't. And frankly, you know, it came, I mean, we got, we saw one of their better performances of the season here, certainly their best result of the season so far with, you know, two to one victory over, over Portland who, you know, the thorns come away significantly disappointed from this. So, um, you know, we've seen some tweaks. This was, We'd kind of gotten used to the three back from Houston to a degree. Um, this was, to me, was more of an imbalanced, um, you know, four. Uh, you know, the, it, w- it was a four back and it was, you know, on Sam Lady's whiteboard that he's probably tired of being shown on broadcast. Um, you know, it was a four back, but, you know, with 
what felt like Maria Sanchez really sort of pinned back on that left side. Mm-hmm. Um, not ideal, obviously, but, but has, again, it's worked. So, you know, I, I think a surprising result to a degree, but, you know, you look at Portland now and it's, you know, this comes after back-to-back three, three draws, which they had to chase games. They had four individual defensive moments that happened again in Houston. So, you know, I, I think it leaves more questions about the thorns totally solvable, right? I mean, this is, we, we shouldn't talk doomsday here when it's literally their, their first loss of the regular season. And, you know, they were up there with, with Washington as an unbeaten, but, you know, three straight results that are pretty disappointing for the thorns. And then obviously this one being a dropped result entirely, you know, I think some questions to ask there and, and to be fair, not just us, like they're asking them themselves, right? They, they are, mm-hmm. you know, post game was about, some lack of confidence, some lack of belief, some, some, you know, wondering where the sort of vintage thorns performance was. So, you know, you start hearing that and, and you've got last place Chicago on dock this week. Like this is an important week for Portland. It really is. And, you know, I think this is one of those kind of results where I'm not really weighing it too heavily for either side. I mean, it's, it's, Houston, you know, like you said, they were excited to leave Providence Park earlier in the season with a point. Now they're, they beat the Thorns and, and are, I guess, justifiably over the moon about that. But there were some moments from Houston that didn't look great, right? And they still only score two goals in this game. Um, and they're still, you know, have scored the fewest goals of all teams tied with Orlando. And then, you know, thinking about Portland, yes, they have these defensive mistakes, but it's not like they were shut out. You know, their attack was still generating, I think potentially a little unlucky in the attack, uh, especially t- late in the game. But, you know, all, both of those things to say that it's not doomsday and it's not time to, you know, throw a huge party, sort of like what you're saying. But um yeah, yeah I think this was another game that highlighted some of Portland's individual defensive mistakes. So, you know, the first goal, Joel Anderson was basically totally unmarked in the box at the back post and, and Bella Bixby, it looked like she sort of parried it into her path, into Anderson's path. Um, the angle was a little tough. I'm not, maybe if I saw a different angle, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not sure if Bixby actually, you know, hit it into the path of the dash player, but that's just, you cannot leave a person unmarked in the box at the, at the back post. Right. That's like defending one-on-one. Well, and look, I, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence here and, and wrote this on our site, unequalizersoccer.com, like, you know, the three struggle, the three weeks here of of real struggles defensively have come with Becky Sauerbrunn out with mm-hmm. a foot injury. So, you know, that should not and does not fully explain giving up eight goals over three games, um, you know, sort of defending in the way that they have individually in some cases. But it, it's not a coincidence either that removing her has has removed some of the solidity and you know some of the on-field guidance here so um you know I, I think that's a factor but you know look they have to be better period and they have to be ready for that anyway because she's headed to the world cup you know by and then you know unless and and we have no we don't have any reason to believe that this injury is is significant to affect that but you know she's not going to be here in the summer one way or another right so mm-hmm. um the thorns have to be able to defend and they're going to have to be able to defend in midfield where they're losing almost, you know, a full set of starters to the world cup. So 
Um, you know, I think there's a bit of a saving grace, which affects every team the same way, mostly that the challenge cup is mostly on the schedule during the world cup. But, you know, if they are struggling, like you can't limp to the world cup break, right? You've got to be in it. And, and the NWSL is, is both forgiving and unforgiving in that, you know, there's six playoff spots. It's typically pretty wide open race, but it's also unforgiving in that, you know, I mentioned last place, Chicago coming to town, like last place, Chicago in Providence park, you should be winning this emphatically if you're the thorns, but that's not a given. And, you know, you look at the different scenarios of a Chicago team that really will probably have nothing to lose the way they've been playing and a Thorns team that's going to be feeling the pressure. Uh, I think this is a trap game in a, in, in a way for, for Portland. Yeah, that's definitely one that we should be keeping our eyes on. And I imagine that they will be trying to address these, you know, individual defensive mistakes that uh, there's a lot of them in the last three games. So lots of film to watch. Um, but, you know, thinking more deeply about Houston, um, I don't want to take away from the fact that they are scoring two goals on this Portland team, you know, regardless of how they happened. Um, they became the first team to beat Portland after trailing at halftime since FC Kansas City in August 2017. So that's from Opta, right? Portland was unbeaten in their previous 57 matches. Uh, so this is pretty impressive. I think even just from a mentality standpoint from Houston, they're doing something that hadn't been done in the previous 57 games, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I tweeted this. That's like a U.S. women's national team level stat, right? That's like, you know, U.S. doesn't lose at home for years on end. So, um, you know, again, putting this all into perspective and and things are still clicking mostly for the Thorns on the offensive side. Like I look at not only the number of goals they've scored, which is six more than the next closest team, and everybody's played the same number of games, which is very rare historically for the NWSL at this point. Um but the nature of them, like, uh, I mean, the the second goal against Angel City was an 18-pass, 60-second sequence. You know, the second goal against North Carolina was that beautiful one-touch combination team goal that, you know, I, I think will be tough to beat for the rest of the season in terms of, of great team goals. So they're getting the job done on the other side of the field. It's So, you know, I, I think that what needs to change here? And, and we're talking about individual defensive errors. Like, you know, I think those are largely fixable things, right? It's it's just a matter of how you get to the end product of fixing them. But these are not like, it's not like the talent isn't there. It's not like the system is entirely failing them. I, I think that, you know, th- these have sort of been mistake ridden games in, in different ways and and they've come back to bite them. But, you know, those are, fixable things, like I said, and, and you think you, you have to think over the course of time that um, of short amount of time that, that there's sort of that regression of the mean in a good way for, for Portland. So um, yeah, I'm not as, as concerned there yet, but I, I think that they're in this precarious spot where, you know, momentum can kind of carry you. It can also sort of push you back down a bit. And, and if you start feeling that weight of, Hey, we're, we're maybe in this, this skid, we got to get out of our own way here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can be a problem, obviously. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's sort of a, a tricky time for, for Portland. And, and like you said, in Houston, um, you know, I think, yeah, impressed with Sanchez. I think Ebony Salmon, obviously, you know, looked very good, um, in, in that moment, certainly on the goal. And, um, you know, Houston has, has, has gotten it right in 
not the most impressive fashions, you know, fashion, but um, you know, they, they figured out a way to, to bend, not break, I guess is the best way to put it. And I still do have questions longer term, like defensively. I, I think that we're talking about individual defensive errors for the thorns. I feel like the dash have gotten away with some things in that category, mm-hmm. uh, especially in that back four, back three at times it's been previously, but, you know, similarly, they have the offensive firepower. And, and you know, if you're looking to, uh, I mean, <laughs> this might sound harsh, but like when you have Sanchez or Donez, who wasn't there Friday, obviously, with uh, the COVID protocols, um, but Sanchez or Donez, Ebony Salmon, like there should be, you should be scoring more, right? Um, you know, this is still a, a dash team that has five goals scored in seven games. So, you know, I think I've heard people and I don't necessarily disagree that on paper, that's like a three headed attacking monster that should be up there as, as among the best in the league. I think obviously Portland has something to say about that, but it's not one that is actually yet producing what it should be on the goal scoring front. So, you know, that's something that still has to improve for Houston and their saving grace has been, they've only given up six. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I think a lot about Ordonez and Salmon being there, you know, their front two that is supposed to be generating much of their attack and, you know, they've fallen short. Um, but last season, they were two players that really overperformed their expected goals um, throughout the season. And now they are top of the league in underperformance. So, you know, that was heading into this game. I, I haven't checked after this game, you know, Ebony Salmon finally ends her goal scoring drought, um, which was actually the longest of her career. Theo Lloyd Hughes reported that. Uh, I thought that was an interesting snippet to think about but you know one question that I have after this game is they the attack was clearly struggling when Ordonez and Salmon were on the field together right just from a pure goals perspective they were having a really hard time finding the back of the net and you know finally they put two goals away with Ordonez unavailable so what how does uh Sam Lady and you know how did the dash I guess move forward is is the the best thing still to have both players on the pitch at the same time? Um, is it more advantageous to play one of them as, you know, a lone number nine? Well, I think you've got to get both of them on the pitch, right? And I mm-hmm. think that's where some of where we saw that sort of that, uh, that three, five, two hybrid that we saw with the wing backs. And, um, you know, I think my only real issue with that is how it, you know, and, and again, Sam Lady praised Maria Sanchez for, working on both sides of the ball, being a total pro and whatever she's asked. And and I would agree. I mean, we've seen that he's seeing it up close, but you know, I would personally, her skill set is obviously much better used closer to goal. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not a number nine striker, but that is not, that's also not, you know, consistently constantly tracking back to, to sort of be an additional left back in, in the, you know, as the line shifts. Right. So I think, you know, that is, is something that needs to still be figured out. Um, but, but I think, yeah, you have to have, you have to figure out a way to get those three on the field. And, and thus far that has been, you know, Salmon and Ordonez up top with, with, with Sanchez in this wing back and or sort of, uh, wide midfielder role. And, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily ideal for her individually, but it seems to be, the best solution to that point of getting everybody on the field in a way that still works for the team. 
Yes, I agree. And, you know, it's <laughs> this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's interesting to see Dan Ardonia struggle in Houston to find the back of the net. Um, and then also on the flip side, see North Carolina struggle without a true striker. So, you know, she requested the trade and, and you know, it's it's good that she's where she wants to be. But part in the back of my mind, I'm just like, you know, thinking about, I guess, what could have been, <laughs> which is mostly <laughs> irrelevant, but that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up for the day? Well, I mean, look, another, I guess, interesting weekend in the league, right? I mean, we, we, maybe it's worth reminding people here, like we don't necessarily tackle every game, every pod, um, in depth anyway, because that's sort of spread out over a, a large number of pods that we do. But, um, you know, I'm I'm still wondering. You know, Gotham with the nil nil draw with Orlando at home or at home in in Jersey. Like, still kind of curious if this is is for real from Gotham, right? I think the Red Stars really are in trouble uh, in a number of ways, and and I don't know what the path out of that is. Um, and and you know, obviously for Louisville, first victory for them, which should get mentioned, and in really what I think was a. a a dueling must win game for those two teams as they were both bottom of the table and, and Louisville wins that pretty convincingly, which is, you know, temporarily good for them just from a confidence perspective, if nothing less. And obviously, you know, a sign of, of some real trouble for Chicago. So, you know, I, I think that's one to, uh, to figure out. And then, you know, San Diego getting on track against Kansas city after some question marks for the wave, I think was again, I mean, important victory for points, but, but also just for, you know, maybe some confidence in, in knowing that things are, you know, on track if, if you're sort of questioning them internally. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. You know, looking at the table right now, some of these teams are, are potentially ones that I expect it to be toward the end, maybe like Orlando um, racing. But, you know, uh, Kansas City, I see them in, in 11th place. I don't I don't know if they're going to stay there. Right. And Chicago, like you said, time to hit the panic button if I was in charge there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, that is a wrap on today's show. Thanks everyone for listening. And thanks Jeff for joining me to recap uh, week seven NWSL. Also, thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy for the equalizer. I'm Ariana Cascone and we'll be back soon with more on the equalizer podcast. 